Um, so, in my house, in our room, bed faces this way, in case you want to know. There's a window over here. Carrie has this hat, and it's a big, like, sun hat. And she knows we're talking about the story. This, the story might differ in details depending on who you ask. Okay? So she has this hat. And on this hat, it hangs on the wall just in the right place where in the middle of the night, if I wake up, our neighbor's backlight is on a hair trigger motion thing. So the tiniest leaf goes across and it's like a halogen searchlight, like a prison light. It shines through our window. The shadow hits the hat. And from my vantage point, it is a nine-foot-tall person standing over our bed. It is terrifying at two, between the hours of two and four in the morning. Because I wake up, I look over there, and it, ha it happened last night. Uh, I look over, it's like, oh my, oh, it's a hat. You guys have those things in your house? Doesn't matter where you are, it's the darkness of the night, the sleep in your eyes, and you look at it, and it is something completely different than what it is. I have been told that there is no better place for this hat than right there on the wall. Um, I have asked, and this is where the story details differ between her and I, and you could take it up with her, she's probably right, but she says, you've never asked me, and I'm like, I have, and this is, it's a thing. We talk to people about it, but this hat fools me every time, and I have a feeling this happens a lot with us, and it's not just in dark rooms in the middle of the night, but through most of our lives, we begin to see things that aren't really there, and then we begin to pursue things that aren't really worth pursuing. We hear things, we see things, uh, and they lead us astray. Uh, in the Gospel of Mark, there's this whole section where this type of thing is happening. One man whose eyes were so blind that he couldn't see, and then it follows by a group of disciples whose ears were so clogged with their own agendas that they couldn't hear what Jesus was doing, and then their hearts were led astray by those things that they thought they saw and those things that they thought they heard. One story in the Gospel of Mark illustrates the other, a group of people gaining clarity regarding who Jesus was and following him would eventually look like, uh, look like once they could see Jesus where he was going, they would eventually say, once we gain clarity of Jesus, sorry, I'm coming to my thoughts real quick, once we gain clarity of who Jesus is, we'll be able to follow him. This is what Jesus was talking about in, in most of the first part of Mark. Who was Jesus? Who was he here to do, save? What was he here to do? And there was a lot of agendas attached to him. Like Jesus said earlier in Mark 4, there are certain people that have eyes to see and there are certain people who have ears to hear. And if you are one of them, you'll get it. And if your eyes see and your ears hear, your heart will follow. And this notion of seeing Jesus for who he was was the central section in Mark. In fact, we're going to get a little nerdy here. If you look at the book of Mark, there's 16 chapters. And think of it like this. The first seven go straight up the hill, Okay. And then it gets to chapter 8, and it's the summit. Those of you who like to hike, I don't know why, but you want to get to the summit of the hill, right? The very top. And some of you ski up that hill. I don't know why you would ski up a hill. Makes no sense. Okay, but you get to the top of the hill, and that's where you want. And then the backside is where you have the most fun, right? That's the easy way down most of the time, unless you fall and tumble. But this is what Mark's doing. For the first seven chapters, he answers the question, who is Jesus? And so you have Jesus say, doing all of these miracles. He feeds 9,000 people. There's probably more like 20,000 people when everyone is counted, uh, accounted for. 
He's healing people. He's raised two people from the dead. And all of these answer the, or ask the question, who is this Jesus? What's he up to? Why is he here? And then chapter 8 comes, and it's, it's the summit. It's the climax of, of the book. It's the watershed chapter. And then chapters 9 through 16 answers the question, now what is Jesus doing? Why did Jesus come? And so the book pivots here. And it starts, he starts to explain the eyes to see, ears to hear uh, metaphor that he used earlier. So let's look at this. The first thing we see is that there, we need eyes to see who Jesus is. To answer the first questions of the first seven chapters, we need to look back with eyes to see who Jesus is. In chapter 8, verse 22, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man, and they begged Jesus to touch him. Uh, in Luke's gospel, the blind man has a name. His name is Bartimaeus. He took the blind man by the hand, led him outside the village. When he spit on the man's eyes, definitely not COVID safe, when he spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? What do you see? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Now put yourself in the story. Let's say you're this blind man, okay? You don't know what's going on. All of a sudden your friends come. They pick you up, and they're leading you out. They're leading you somewhere. You can't see where you're going. And maybe your friends have done this to you before. Maybe this is their trick they play on you. But they take you away, and you don't know where they're going. All you know is that this Jesus guy is in town. And they say, maybe he'll heal you. Maybe this is what will happen. But you don't have a choice. You just follow. They bring you to Jesus, and instead of Jesus healing you right there on the spot like you've heard uh, him do other places, he takes you by the hand and then leads you outside the village. It's strange, right? And then he says, I'm going to heal you, and all you hear is... <laughs> yes, ooh is right. All you hear is that, and you're like, no, not again. Because a blind man weren't really looked very well in society. Maybe he had been spit on before. Maybe this is a normal occurrence, and he's like, ah. Oh. It's just going to happen again. Uh, I wonder if he flinched a little bit, expecting another form of abuse. And then all of a sudden, you, hear, you feel Jesus' hand on your eyes, and he's rubbing. Strange, right? Now, the word that's used for eyes here in Mark is the word oma. You want to say the word oma? Oma. Oma. Oma eye. Okay? It means this. Eye. And so Jesus touches the man's eyes with spit and begins to rub in the saliva, which is disgusting. Uh, this is where parents get the idea that a little bit of this and that will take care of any smudge on your cheek. This is where we get that. Also, the Romans thought that saliva was an anti-inflammatory. And so it's not uncommon that they would put spit on a wound or a scratch in order to heal it. So it's not completely out of the ordinary that this would happen. But this is different. This is the touch of Jesus. The same fingers that carved man and woman out of the dust of the ground is now wiping spit into this man's eyes. And the more he rubbed it in, the more this man began to see light and figures. Now, we don't know if he was born blind, but he knew what trees looked like. We don't know what his eye problem was, but he was blind. And those things aren't really the point of the story. The point of the story is that 
now we see Jesus working and he's bringing clarity to this man who was in utter darkness. Jesus asks him, what do you see? And he says, I see people walking around like trees. Halfway healings and blurry eyesight don't work for Jesus. That's not enough. Jesus' miracles and Jesus' whole point in this chapter, Mark's whole point was that Jesus is bringing clarity on who he was, not who people thought he was. And he continues, once more Jesus put his hand on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and everything, he began to see everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Jesus was still operating in a mode of secrecy. It wasn't time yet. It would cause a bigger stir if he would have gone into the village. We don't know where the man went, but he left. More spit, more clarity, right? That's, that's what Jesus did. However, this time, the word I is not the word Oma. Thank you, Oma. Thanks, Em. Okay, it's not the word Oma. It's the word ophthalmos. Sound familiar? Ophthalmology. Okay, it's Jesus didn't put his hands on the man's eyes, even though he did, but Mark makes a special distinction. It's a weird word to use here, and it's only used one other time in the Gospels. It means this, the eyes of the mind, the faculty of knowing and understanding. So Jesus' healing here is bringing understanding on who Jesus was. Here is a hidden message that we'd be wise to notice. And Mark loves to use symbols. And he loves to use stories that lead up to a, a, the point of his writing. And this little, it's called a pericope. He's bringing this. He's bringing something that we'll see a little bit later. In this case, he wants us to understand that it's one thing to see. And it's another thing to actually comprehend. Have you ever noticed that? You can see something going on, but you don't really understand it. People saw Jesus doing everything that Jesus did, but they didn't really understand what he was or what he was about. They've seen people fed. They've, seen, they've heard teachings. They've been noticing what he's doing. They followed his movements, but they were still confused. They were still walking around going, this guy's a lunatic. Or this guy's a great rabbi. Or this person might be Messiah. We don't know. He was bringing clarity to what was happening. They saw what they wanted to see, yet they didn't understand what Jesus was fully about. All they saw was the equivalent to a blurry tree and weird shapes. The blind man doesn't get one healing. He gets two. The first one opened his eyes to the possibility of Jesus, and the second one opened his, his heart to the reality of Jesus. Not only eyes to see, but eyes to perceive. The miracle is meant to get us thinking. It's the appetizer before the, the final teaching of this chapter. Do we understand Jesus? Which is the big idea of Mark chapter 8. Everything you've read, do you understand what Jesus is about? So he moves from eyes, one way of taking into information, and then Jesus moves on to ears, eyes and ears, ears to hear. In verse 27, chapter 8, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? Great question. Again, this section begins the very same way that the previous section did. Remember, he takes the man outside of the city. He was taking the disciples far away from the city that they were in. It was probably a, a day's journey to Caesarea Philippi. We can get there in a car in about an hour and a half. But for them, they were walking, and they were going up the hill, up to this place called Caesarea Philippi, which is named after Caesar as a way of uh, kissing up to the empire. 
Okay, so they take him to this place. This was also the home of the god Pan, if you're into Greek mythology. There's a big temple up there. And so Jesus is sitting in this place and where, where the empire is celebrated, where a false god is worshipped. He's on the border of a, a town in Israel and then a Gentile country. And he says, what are people saying about me? And when he asks this question, if they were to turn around, they would see all the cities where they have seen a miracle. The placement of this, of this story is hugely significant for Mark. He's saying, look behind you. What, are, what is everyone talking about? What do they say? And it's not in a way of like, are people talking bad about me? It's not in an insecure way. He's asking the disciples, what's, what's the word on the street? So the disciples answer, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. And still others say you're one of the prophets. So people have their opinions. They think he's a prophet, just not any prophet. If you want to get an understanding of what Jesus is like, look at the people he's compared to. Elijah was not your uh, nice and cuddly, soft type of person. He was very chaotic. He disrupted a lot of things. John the Baptist, dressed in camel's hair, ate locusts. The prophets, namely Ezekiel, would make things out of poop. And so they're looking at him going, you're not a normal type of person, Jesus. You're a disruptor. You're talking about things that get people riled up. You're, 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 you're doing something here that's bigger than us. They're perceiving Jesus, not in these gentle images where he's stroking the head of a lamb. Have you seen that one? Or, or he's your buddy Jesus doing this in the, in the mirror. That's not the picture of Jesus that people have. They saw him through these great prophets, a fearless men of God who stood up against evil and injustice and called Israel back to their final and intended purpose. That's how they viewed Jesus. Jesus was a prophet announcing the kingdom of God, the long-awaited movement when God would rule Israel and, the, and ultimately the world with justice and mercy, with what the scriptures had spoken of and what they, they longed for. All those were mere human rule with, with mixtures of justice, oppression, mercy, corruption, and everything would fade at the feet of Jesus. And we see that and go, yes, we want that. Doesn't that sound great? They thought that that's what Jesus was doing with everything, with the battles of evil, with the exorcism, with the demons being taken out of one man into a herd of pigs, which meant the death of the Roman Empire. They thought that this is what they're all about. And the disciples were in on it. They think he's the king, that he would sort Rome out. And by sorting Rome out, Rome wasn't a nice place to live. They were under the foot of an empire. They were taxed and taxed and taxed by Rome. They were mistreated by Rome. And so when they say Jesus is going to usher in a new kingdom, that means Rome is gone. This is what people thought of Jesus. But even... Even though it was short-sighted, and it, it was still kind of true. But in the same sense that it is true is the same sense that it's just a blurry image of somebody walking around. There's some hint of truth to it, but there was a lot more that they were missing. Sure, Jesus was a disruption. He was a disruption of the fabric of society, just like John the Baptist was. Yes, Jesus stood against injustice, of course. Yes, Jesus was calling Israel to live into its true identity. Yes, Jesus would settle Rome and set up a true kingdom where God was reigning, but not in the way that they were expecting. 
They were seeing blurry images that looked like their expectation. What people had done was hang their own social political goals on Jesus and hope that he would fix everything and they could just be along for the ride. That's what they wanted. So like the blind man earlier, Jesus goes in and gives them a second chance. But what about you, he asks? What do you, who do you say I am? Yeah, 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 yeah. this is Jesus saying this. Yeah, 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 that, that stuff's great. I understand that. But I don't care what other people are saying. I want to know now, what do you say? Do you understand who I am? And Peter, got to love Peter, first one to talk. Probably should change that about him. But whatever, we love the passion and the zeal. Raises his hand and says, you're, you're the Messiah, Jesus. And Peter answers the question correctly. Jesus is the Messiah, but what Peter means by Messiah is vastly different than the way Jesus defines Messiah. Peter's thoughts of Messiah is exactly what the other people thought of Messiah. He only heard what he wanted to hear about Jesus. Peter only heard what he agreed with. He only amplified what confirmed his agenda. Jesus was who they wanted him to be what they were hearing him to be, not actually who he was intending to be. Both of these sections mirror each other. It's one thing to look at Jesus and see what we want. It's another thing to listen to Jesus and hear what we want. It's easy to make Jesus into something that makes us feel comfortable with ourselves, with our life, with our decisions, with our habits. If this is the case, our eyes are fooling us and our ears are deceiving us and we're not following Jesus. Instead, we're following a figment of our, imagina- of our imaginary Jesus that just confirms everything that we think instead of transforming the way we live. This is what Jesus was getting at here. This is what Mark's trying to show us. If following Jesus only confirms the way we live, if only it affirms the way we think and if only agrees with everything we say, I don't think that's Jesus you're following. The same is true for them in the text, and the same is true for us. When we do that, we're following blurry image and popular opinions and sharp-sounding agendas that sound a lot like Jesus, but have nothing to do with him in the end. You'll follow something, but you'll end up way off from where you're intended to be. A couple weeks ago, Carrie and I took a road trip. By road trip, we flew down to Texas and we drove to Arizona, and then we drove from Arizona to here. I don't recommend it. It's a long drive, okay? If you do, make sure you have really nice heated seats. Uh, and so, but we're driving, and, and a friend of ours takes that trip often, and he gave us some waypoints to help us along our journey. And so I'm entering them into the, the phone, into, into the Maps app, uh, and, and I'm going, and I, I enter the address in one digit off. And I hit go. Didn't even pay attention. And then I'm looking at it. Luckily, I hadn't made any turns yet. But had I followed that waypoint, uh, we were supposed to be up here in Idaho. We would have been over here in Montana. Not bad. Montana's not bad, right? It's not any closer than we're supposed to be. We were supposed to get to Idaho by the nightfall. And yet I would have been four hours off in the other direction. How so? One single day digit of the address. I didn't put in the state. You get what I'm saying here? 
We can think we're following Jesus or something that sounds a lot like Jesus, and then we follow it full muster. We're going this way, this way, this way, and then look up halfway through and go, whoa, I'm way off. Luckily, we caught it, and I didn't tell Carrie about my mistake yet, so give me, help me out here. Don't throw me in there. But it might look good. The blurry images might have been fine for that man in the beginning. The blurry images was way better than what he had. It's way better than darkness. And you can get around with blurry images. You can get close. It's not good enough. There's more we're missing. The, the disciples were part right. The people were part right that it was Messiah. Yep, he's Messiah, but not the type of Messiah that you're looking for. There was, there was part truth there. But had they followed that, they would have probably ended up dead by the Roman Empire or extremely disappointed. It's just a little off, but I like it better. That's what we say. It fits better with where I'm, le- where I'm at, where I'm living. I have a hard time with the Jesus of the Bible, so I'm going to change a lot of the Bible so I'm comfortable with the Jesus of the Bible. Therefore, I don't feel as bad about how I'm living. That's off. That's a blurry image. And so what Jesus is correcting here, he's saying, look, you need eyes, you need ears, but most of all, you need a heart that's willing to follow me here. And so Jesus begins to address the confusion. He teaches them explicitly the nature of his ministry and in a matter which God is going to accomplish the purposes of Messiah, but not any way that was expected. And this is the very center point of the book. It's pretty interesting how this works. He began to teach them, that the Son of Man, and the Son of Man is an allusion to Daniel, the prophecy of the Messiah, the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected by elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and then after three days rise again. And he spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside to rebuke him. As you can see, Peter doesn't like that kind of talk at all. He doesn't take the news well. He can see now clearly what Jesus is all about, and he's heard clearly what Jesus was going to do, and Peter rejects it. No, 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 no. That's not how it's going to work. Rather than, rather than failing to comprehend how Jesus' suffering Messiah and death, Jesus' suffering and death could accomplish God's purpose, Peter in effect says, no, 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 no. That's not what I want. You don't understand, Jesus. Going down to Jerusalem for defeat is not the way to overthrow the empire. Going down to defeat is not how we overthrow Satan and establish of the kingdom of God, Jesus. That's not how we do it. You're reading the wrong script. In other words, you're not reading from my playbook. You're reading from a different one, and mine's right, Peter says. None of this lines up with what we want. Peter believes in the Messiah. He believes Jesus is the Messiah. And true Messiahs, according to Peter, don't get killed by authorities. And watch what Jesus says to him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. Whoa. And by Satan, he means Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have the mind, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. We hear this and we kind of jolt a little bit, right? He called Peter Satan. I call people Satan as a joke, but Jesus was serious. Get behind me, Satan. Rather, Jesus is saying this. He's he's not saying you are Satan, but your motives and your intentions and your desire for following me is purely a Satan-like attitude. It's your own image. 
it's your own motives. It's not that Peter didn't long for the kingdom of God, but he wants the kingdom of God without a cross. He wants all of the effects of Jesus, but he doesn't want the way of Jesus. His rejection of Jesus' teaching is exactly what we saw in Mark 4. Remember the seeds thing that Jeff talked about, the, the sowing of the seeds, and he does this a lot. It's exactly what happened here. Peter has the seeds of the gospel, and they're being choked out by Satan, being choked out by personal motive, eliminating the cross of the kingdom. And the only way that Jesus was ever going to bring the kingdom was through a cross. In the other Gospels, there's this section, and we know it as the temptation of Christ. There was a terrible movie written about it back in the 80s. But it was the temptation part. That Luke, Mark leaves that part out of his Gospel. So does John. But Matthew and Luke talk about it. And what Satan was tempting Jesus with in those two sections was, uh, he was saying, look, you can have all the effects of rule and reign, but with no cross. Remember, he takes him to the top of the temple and says, all of this can be yours. Satan had no problem admitting that Jesus was Messiah. That wasn't a problem for Satan. Satan's whole point was, can we get this done without the cross? Can we get this done without the thing that's actually going to defeat me? Satan is opposed to Jesus going to the cross because the cross will overthrow every aspect of Satan's rule. And Peter had the same kind of desire avoid the cross. So when Jesus says, get behind me, the command is simply this, Peter, stop following your own way here. Adjust the map in your phone because you're way off and it's leading you astray. Instead, follow the agenda that Jesus is setting out. Jesus wants Peter to listen. He wants him to learn, but most of all, he wants him to, he wants him to cultivate a heart so he can receive the word of the cross-shaped kingdom and embrace it rather than reject it. Jesus wants Peter to have a heart to follow, and he wants the same for us. And he says this in verse 34, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel, we'll save it. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been to a lot of missions conferences where they say, this is where we're told to be martyrs, right? We're going to go and we're going to lose our life for Jesus. And, 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 and we get all excited about this. I might have preached that a few times. I don't know. Are you willing to die for Jesus? And that's usually where it ends. But I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about here. Usually when, when, when we talk about this, we sweat a great deal and we pound the pulpit like, we're going to go. Take up your cross. But I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about here. Instead, I see this verse in light of the entire passage that's leading up to this verse. The meanings and conversations immediately around it, and the more I realize it, has less to do with physically suffering and more to do with taking my agenda and my thoughts of what I think Jesus should do and put those to death in order to follow Jesus and his agenda. It's viewing Jesus through a proper lens. Not what we think Jesus ought to be, but who he actually came to be. So how do you see Jesus today? Do you see Jesus, like if Jesus was sitting here and say, who do you say I am? How many agendas would you stack on top of Jesus? Well, you vote this way. 
uh, you, you like these uh, organizations, you donate to this person, uh, you do beach cleanups, uh, you drive an electric car, you don't use gas, you know, what, what things would you stack on to Jesus? What does Jesus look like? Who do you say Jesus is? Does he look a lot like you? Does he think a lot like you? Does he like the same people you like? Perhaps you and I can be like the blind man more than we think. We have a blurry image of what Jesus is and we have a hard time recognizing what he really is. We see things blurry. We don't they see things clearly. I feel that most of the time what we think we're chasing and what we think Jesus is uh, only comes to find out that it's a hat on the wall that's fooling us into thinking it's something else. And we find ourselves panicky or afraid. And Jesus says, I'm not anything like that. I didn't come to confirm your agendas. I didn't come to confirm everything that you think you hear about me. Jesus had a very clear thought. We're going to the cross. It's going to look a lot different than what you think, Peter. It's going to look a lot different than what you think, blind men, blind women. It's going to lead you to a place you never thought you would be, but it's better. So who do you say Jesus is? Who does Jesus look like for you? Would you pray with me? Father, would you give us clear eyes today and full hearts? Hearts that are willing to follow you, hearts that are willing to put down agendas, hearts that are willing to put down aspirations, hearts that are willing to let you lead us. And it's a hard thing to do that, God because it does involve a cross. It's painful to put down agendas, but that's the only way that we'll transform into what you want us to be. Lord, you say through Paul that uh, we're supposed to not conform to what other people say about you, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind and the work of your spirit into who you want us to be. So God, today, right now, would your spirit continue to work in this room? And may we see our own false Jesuses around, our own blurry images of what we think you are. And may we have the courage, like Peter and the disciples eventually get there, to put those images and ask, put them down and ask for the clarity that only comes from your touch. Would you wipe the agendas away from our eyes? May we see you clearly in order to follow you more closely. So we don't end up way off. It's in your name we ask this.